My name is Sarah McCrory. I work at the Rocky Coast Building, North Carolina Zoo. And I'm Whitney Bishop. I also work at the Rocky Coast section. Hello, I'm John Rossi. I'm a touring drummer with a passion for animal conservation. When I'm on the road, I spend as much time as possible visiting zoos, aquariums, and conservation organizations. Now, I want to share those places with you. I'll be talking to keepers, vets, conservationists, anyone who can help me in my mission of connecting my people to animals through their people. Join me on my raw safari. Hello, hi, hello. Welcome back to a special episode of the Rasafari Podcast. So, y'all, um, we have some really interesting stuff that we're going to be hearing about this week. But before we get to that, uh, I wanted to do some basic housekeeping. Wanted to remind y'all that you should make sure that you hit subscribe. If you can rate and review the podcast, it really helps a lot. It really does. Um, and, of course, follow along on social medias at Ross Safari and at Ross Safari Pod on the TikTok machine. And beyond that, just, uh, you know, thanks for being here. Um, so normally when I do this podcast, I tend to go chronologically. So y'all come along with me on my adventures as they happen. But every once in a while, I do move episodes around a bit uh, for a variety of reasons. And this is one of those episodes. If you're caught up on Zoo News, then you know that a very special polar bear recently passed away. He had been living at the North Carolina Zoo and was being transported to the Louisville Zoo uh, for a breeding wreck. And um, unfortunately, he did not survive the journey. He was uh, an older bear. The zoos did everything right. Sometimes these things just happen, you know. And um, I talked about it in Zoo News and mentioned the fact that I had just met that polar bear recently. His name, of course, was Peyton. And so I wanted to move this episode up because this week I'm talking to Sarah McCrory and Whitney Bishop, who work with the polar bears and many other amazing animals at the North Carolina Zoo. Now, this interview was recorded on the day that I met the polar bears there, and um, so obviously it was before the loss of Peyton. But I thought this would be such a great time to let you hear about the amazing keepers in this section, the amazing work that they do with their animals, and frankly, the love and care that they put into their jobs all the time. Um, and so, yeah, I wanted to do that now while thoughts of Peyton were still fresh on my mind. Now, obviously, what that means is you're going to hear them talking about Peyton and Anana, the other polar bear there, and of course, other animals there as well, and, and not mentioning this thing that happened after the fact. So, um, yeah, I thought it would be an interesting perspective to share so recently after this happened. But um, I can't say enough good stuff about the team at the North Carolina Zoo. Uh, Sarah and Whitney and their entire team were so incredible and so transparent. They let me meet Anana and Peyton and also a harbor seal named Ronan. And you're going to hear some of my experience with Ronan, um, but you'll also hear me talk about meeting the polar bears and how meaningful it was to me during that part. So I'm, I'm pretty excited to share all of this with, with all of you. 
Um, I'm still sending love and condolences to the team at the North Carolina Zoo for this tragic loss. And uh, I think once you hear this and hear how amazing these people were, you're going to feel even more connected to them and have even a deeper understanding of what a loss like this means to just such incredible people. So uh, there's a lot of joy in this episode, but it is definitely uh, laying under a blanket of sadness now, too. So I hope y'all enjoy it and and really dig into that joy and fall in love with Whitney and Sarah as much as I did. So, uh, yeah, without further ado, here's the interview. Uh, we have a lot of different animals, um, range of polar bears, Arctic seabirds, Arctic fox, harbor seal, porcupine. Arctic and, porcupine? Uh, not an Arctic <laughs> porcupine. Uh, She's a North America porcupine, um, but we basically take care of um, all the animals here. Very cool. All right. So it's great to have you both on. Very excited. I have to tell you that I've been doing this podcast. This is my fourth year of doing the podcast now, and I have yet to connect with like call it Rocky Shores, call it Arctic, call it polar, whatever, um, with a keeper from that region, which is insane at any zoo anywhere. So I am so excited. And I've had many zoos on that have polar bears and stuff, but we always end up going in different directions, often because I'm distracted by red pandas. Um, well, then it's a good thing that we don't have red pandas here, because now you get to hang out with us and learn all about our amazing Arctic species. I know. I'm really excited. <laughs> I, I, I specifically requested this when we were when we were talking, so I'm very, very excited. Although I will say, even though I know pandas aren't part of the initial plan, y'all are going to be opening in a new section soon, an Asia section, right? Yes. Um, I believe that opens in 2026. Okay, yeah, so soon is a stretch, but that's how yeah. zoos work. But soon for zoos. I am really excited to see that. Um, I'm We're sure. excited as well. <laughs> it's a whole new uh, group of animals. It's an awesome expansion, and it's going to be great for our regulars and our members to come and get to meet new species um, and do some of the really cool interactive uh, things that they're going to be putting in for the education department. Um, our education staff is fantastic, um, and they're finding all the newest technology to add into this new area. So it's going to be awesome. That's amazing. That's really cool. I, uh, I think it's, I, I think that the North Carolina zoo is interesting. It's the only really big zoo that I know of that only focuses on a couple of areas right now. It's, it's North America and it's Africa. And, um, I think that's really cool. I think it gives a really in-depth look at those areas and the animals and I, the, the, the zoo itself is amazing. Huge habitats, very naturalistic. You're walking through the woods. It's a, uh, it's an amazing experience. Um, but I, I, I have to assume that the idea to add an entire new section, like a new geographic section, had to be pretty big. And, and I'm curious if you guys have any insight into that before we go into your section. I mean, the only thing that I have is that our, our area, we can, it's kind of like Asia is being built in our backyard. Hmm. So we can kind of see some of the day-to-day -day construction stuff that's happening. That's kind of about all I can think of, but. There was definitely a lot of planning. It's been years in the making from my understanding, yeah. um, like any large construction project. Um, and like any other facility, we're trying to um, broaden the horizon, bring more uh, awareness to different species as well. And so we've been open so long with just these two geographic locations. I think now it was a time, a good time to expand that and add more species to it as well. 
Awesome. I love it. All right. So let's get into what y'all are doing and kind of what I like to do as I start. I know you guys said you listen. Um, I, I like to get your background. So go ahead and just kind of one at a time. Tell me, you know, your start. Did, did you like animals from the beginning? Did you always want to be in this world? You know, did you know what a polar bear was? I mean, tell, <laughs> tell me things. Um, well, I remember when I was like elementary school, I actually wanted to be an archaeologist. I don't know where that came from. I don't know. Um, and then later on, I wanted to be a veterinarian. So I somehow I gravitated towards animals. Um, I was always the kid that was out in the backyard. Let's look at the ants and the worms and things like that. And so going into college, I still wanted to work with animals, but I was going into more conservation. And then I just changed into wildlife management because I was hoping to do something out in the field. Um, again, still some conservation work. Uh, and so what made me truly change my, what I wanted to do with my job was my summer job and, and during the summer for college, I started to work at the Columbus Zoo as a seasonal. Nice. I fell in love with that job. Granted, my first job was working with goats, sheep, walking the ponies around the circle, but I loved it. I mean, goats are awesome. Yeah. It's yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, and actually, I'm a, such a big fan of goats and sheep now. Nice. Nice. Um, yeah. So after that, I, I ended up moving what's to uh, called the Shores area. So that encompasses a lot of different areas there. Uh, and I worked mostly with the aquariums. And then they had me fill in with the penguins and flamingos for a couple of days. And I'm like, what is this? I found my passion. My birds, my birds, my birds are passion. My passion is birds. <laughs> they're, they're your birds at that point. I mean, yeah, no, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, so, you know, I spent... Um, you know what's funny? Real quick, I'm going to interrupt yeah. for one second. I have a trend on this podcast. And again, we've been going for years now, right? And I talk to a lot of bird keepers. Not one of them started off passionate about birds. But when they first met birds, it, it clicked, just like you said. Yeah. And I find that so fascinating. Although I will say, I also used to skip birds at zoos. And then once I started interacting with them for the podcast, I've now fallen in love. Um, and some, especially, um, you know, ravens and, and crows and stuff are some of my favorite animals now. Uh, corvids are incredible. So I get it, but it's just, it's funny to me. I mean, you're probably, you're definitely in the double digits of bird keepers who did not care worked with birds and then were like, ah, yeah, it, it was almost mind blowing. Um, yeah, yeah. I worked there for almost six years and a job opened up at the Rocky coast area. And, um, originally our Rocky coast area was split into mammals and bird keepers. And so I was with the Arctic seabirds and our peregrine falcon for almost 20 years before our building merged the birds and mammals. And we all work with everything now. Nice. Very yeah. cool. So, yeah. I have there. one other question about Columbus, um, cause I'm just a huge fan. Sure. Um, and, uh, that is, was Buddy there when you were there? Buddy the sea turtle? Oh, you would know if Buddy was there. You know what? I, we had some green sea turtles there. And every so many years, we did get a new one, and the other one got shipped out. Okay, so, so that, this was before Buddy. So Buddy's a Hawksbill that lives there now and okay. is a permanent resident. So that um, one might be in 
the um, Manatee. Right. I wasn't sure yeah. if it's still the Shores area. The, yeah. That's, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's still the Shores yep. area. Manatees was actually built while I was there. Oh, cool. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Buddy lives there full time with the Manatees, okay. and yeah. it's it's very cool. I was just curious. She, she's one of my favorite uh, zoo animals anywhere. Awesome. So yeah, always love hanging out with Buddy. But okay, very cool. And then um, yeah, Whitney, tell me tell me your journey. Yeah, my journey is quite a bit different. Nice. Um, and it's kind of a unique path um, than a lot of people. A lot of people know exactly what they want to do when it comes to animals from like a really early age. I've always loved animals since I was really little. Like I never played with Barbies. I always had Beanie Babies nice. or stuffed animals. Like that was my go-to um, as a kid. But I would also – Be honest. As a kid or still to this day? I mean, still to this day. Because, I mean, I'm just saying. <laughs> I have my stuffed red panda with me. <laughs> As my husband, I still have one of my toys from a child, like my childhood that is permanently in our bedroom. Nice. Perfect. Perfect. So, yeah. Yes, okay. Still to this day, um, I ha- am all about those. Never into the dolls or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but my mom also put me in ballet classes when I was about three years old. So I grew up doing ballet and I did ballet all the way up through high school and I thought that was the route that I wanted to go. So I applied for a bunch of different uh, programs, auditioned, different places, um, made it into the schools academically, but it didn't quite pan out into their ballet department right then. So I was like, well, what else do I love? Because I don't want to pay that much to go to a school and not do what I want to do. Right, right. Um, so went to community college for about a year and found um, – Friends University out in Wichita, Kansas, that has a degree called Zoo Science, and they also had a dance program. So I said, this is perfect. I can uh, work on a degree where I can work with animals someday, and I can continue my dancing. Um, So I did that, went there for about four years. Um, My senior year, uh, I started applying for internships uh, because that's something that you got to do to get into this field. Mm -hmm. You got to put in the time and the work. Um, and one of them just so happened to be a marine mammal internship down in the Caribbean in nice. St. Thomas. Nice. So I was one of the few in my class that applied to it, and I actually got that internship. So right after graduation, I went to the Caribbean for three months, um, and the rest is kind of history. I got offered a position as soon as my internship was over, spent five years working with amazing sea lions and not just California sea lions, but South American sea lions. Ooh, okay. Yeah. You don't get to see them a lot. And if you ever get a chance to meet them, they are amazing. They are massive and huge and just so fun. Nice. Um, but from there, after five years, I decided to go travel Australia for a couple of years. Um, cause I've always been fascinated with Australian animals. Um, did that and then got a job in Florida when I came back to the States, um, working with dolphins, penguins, seals, sea lions, tropical birds. And yeah, so those were our seven species there. Um, and then I saw a position open here at Rocky Coast working with the harbor seals and the polar bears and the seabirds. And I was like, you know what? Let's give this a go. And I applied and got the position, and I've been here ever since for the last two years. That's we awesome. love you. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Awesome. So, um, yeah, I like I like the, the different paths. Now, I'm curious, as, a, as an artist myself who has found himself getting into this world, um, what do you think you learned or, or kind of can apply from your time dancing uh, to this kind of career? Um. The biggest thing, it's may seem kind of weird. The biggest thing that I took from my dance career and have applied here is my ability to take feedback. 
um, because you get a lot of constructive feedback in both dance and in this field, especially now where we're advancing our um, animal care programs, our animal training programs. We're always trying to improve our animal training skills for the animals. Um, and so that's probably one of the biggest ones. Um, the other is my comfort in front of people. Mm -hmm. um, but what really got me comfortable in front of people is kind of a weird one, bartending. Okay, I can see that. Bartending got me able to speak to people, whereas dancing, I was just there in front of people. So it kind of rolled into one. And so those are the two biggest that I take from my dance career um, into this field. Sweet. Very cool. All right. So let's get into the Rocky Shores. Um, I have to tell you that one of my all-time favorite photos that I've ever taken is from this zoo. And awesome. it is of an Arctic fox. Um, so I want to start with the Arctic foxes. And the reason why is that this little Arctic fox, and I was here a couple of years ago, um, just was very playful, came right up to the glass and was playing with me and then like paused and like was staring at me. And I was able to put, it was just like a, my iPhone. It wasn't even my, my like good camera. And I just put it up and click and it's like a perfectly framed Arctic fox face. I love it so much. Um, and so I, I've, I've wanted to know about the, the foxes here for literally years. So tell me about your foxes. Um, so we have two Arctic foxes. Their names are Rizzo and Kanicki. <laughs> yep, they're named after the movie Grease. Nice, nice. Um, so Rizzo is the female. Kanicki is um, the boy. Um, they are um, half brother, sister, right? I half, think they're full. They're full brother, they're sister, full just sibling. Different okay. years. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, and so they are seven and eight years old this year. We love them to death. So they, um, we do have a nice training program for them. So a lot of things that we do, um, are just things that we, so we can get, um, some, get a good look at them, um, and not have to be able to get them in hand. Um, so things, simple things like target, just come to a training session. Um, they are, they've learned topical. So they line up on the fence line so we can be able to do um, some sort of topical administration. Um, on them like a flea and tick medication yeah, sure. monthly yeah. yeah um they're very big personalities See, the, yes. yes tell yes. me about their yes. personalities. very big personalities so uh, my best guess is that it was most likely Rizzo that was over at the window um our supervisor Sally actually taught her a behavior where she, we can ask her to go look at the window oh my goodness yeah. that's amazing so it's not only great for the guests but that one's also really good for our vet staff as well because it allows them to come up to the window and get a closer look without actually having to go on habitat because arctic foxes are naturally a very skittish species mm -hmm. um so Rizzo is really comfortable with that um she will stalk you sometimes, um, or at least us keepers. She knows like when we walk by, she'll follow us and be like, are you going to come in? Are we going to do a training session? Are you going to give me enrichment? Like, what are we doing? Um, she's extremely intelligent as well. Both foxes are. Um, Rosa Morso. <laughs> in a in a, just in a slightly different way than her brother. Um, she, she's a mechanical thinker. Yeah. She tends to also, um, she likes to try and get away with things. Uh, <laughs> she is the one that knows who's new and who's not. Okay. Um, and if you give her an inch, um, like accepting a slightly lower criteria than somebody else on a behavior, um, she will run a mile with that. She will continue to offer that lower standard of the behavior um, <laughs> for as long as, you know, she can get away with. Um, on the flip side of that, she learns extremely quickly. 
Um, and so it's a lot of fun to see how fast she learns uh, and she will just come right on over. She's also learned that if she sees a guest with a popcorn bag, <laughs> she will follow them along fence lines. Because unfortunately, <laughs> we do have people that throw food into their habitat. Right. We try and discourage as much as possible. Right. Um, but they're smart animals. They know. They, they know. know. They know how to look cute and beg. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, and Kaniki, her brother, he's a little bit more laid back, um, a little bit more hesitant to come and and uh, investigate new things. And so we see that sometimes he will hold off a little bit until Rizzo has checked it out and he knows that it's safe. Mm-hmm. Um, and that it also depends on the time of year because sometimes she'll do that too. She'll be like, mm, "Is it worth it to come down?" Okay, he's down there. I'll come down too. Or sometimes what they'll do is. Rizzo will start working with like the enrichment or whatever she wants to investigate. And once she starts getting into it, then Kaniki is like, Oh, I can go steal it. So <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Um, can you talk about their habitat a little bit? Cause it's, it's really cool. Um, and I spe- specifically like the, like the back wall and the, the height of it. If you could talk about that and kind of how they use it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a pretty, um, pretty large habitat. I don't have the exact dimensions of it. Um, but more or less, it's uh, it's grassy, it's dirt. We have pine trees throughout it. Um, the back wall has it's all rocky. There's some pockets, air, pocket areas that they can hide in. Um, there's different layers or shelves of rocks that they can lay in. Um, especially when it gets hot, they like to lay in the the rock work because it en- does end up staying a little bit cooler. And then another part of the rock work, they have a little crevice that they can climb up onto, and it's almost like a little shelf. What it's almost like. 15 feet in the air that they can go and hide in. Um, but the other thing that foxes do is they love to dig. So there's, they have a vast area that they can dig, dig the holes in. Rizzo's really good at digging really far down deep into areas. They pretty much will dig wherever they want. Yep. Um, we do have um, areas marked off specifically where we have a bunch of dirt for them to dig in. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we try and keep the rest of it grassy. Doesn't always work. You know, nature, foxes, they're going to do what they want to do. But it is quite open, which is nice. um, And it has those hiding spots for them to be able to go into because, again, they're a skittish species. Um, They are not apex predators. And so they do, they will dig and they will cache their food. So there's lots of areas for them to kind of cache different um, food items in different places. But having the different levels is nice for them, too, because it's a comfort space to be up a little bit higher. Makes sense. And what what is their food? Um, here at the uh, North Carolina Zoo, we feed them a variety of different things. Um, their base diet is kind of a special kibble. We give them little pinky mice and some frozen veggies every day. And then their protein source kind of rotates throughout the week, which is fun. Um, so they'll get capelin, herring, ground meat, hard-boiled eggs, um, and then They'll get bones once a week, so we give them little rib bones. Uh, we Recently, we got approval to start adding in um, knuckle bones from cows. Okay. So they'll get those once a month. So it's a great way. It's a much larger bone than the little rib bones that they get. So it's a nice way for them to have something larger to chew on, larger to bury. But also it works some of those muscles in their necks and their jaws that they might not get to work with some of those smaller items. And so it's still exhibiting some of those natural behaviors. Love that. Uh, I am curious about something, though. A lot of that stuff sounds pretty gross if it's going to be cached. So uh, as keepers, 
what does the caching uh, behavior, like, how does that affect how y'all have to clean up? And how long do you let them keep some of these things before you're like, okay, that's a pinky that's, you know. I would say more often than not, they they usually only cache it for maybe a day. Okay. okay. Yeah. So, um, but the large knuckle bones, um, they will cache them and we do try to look for them. Sometimes we're unsuccessful um, they, because sometimes we see them bury it in one spot. And then we go to look for it there and we're like, it's not there. <laughs> so yeah, we, so, yeah, we, they'll move them. And so we do our best to not let the bones go for more than a few days if we can. Um, but sometimes it's really hard to find them because they're very good at hiding things. That's awesome. That's cool. That makes sense. And I, the fact that it's like bones and stuff, I think that's a little bit easier than if it was like, like I said, like pinkies laying. Around. Yeah. And there's not as much meat on the bones. It's mostly just the marrow inside. Right. So it's not going to rot nearly as fast as like maybe the pinkies or right. a fish. Cool. Very cool. Very cool. Um, and I know you've been waiting. So let's talk seabirds. Tell me, seabirds. tell me about your birds. Okay. So we have, a. Wow, we have three different species of birds in there. We have horn puffins, thick-billed mirrors, and parakeet ochlet. Okay. So, yeah. Um, the, the pool is 44,000 gallons, 28-foot-high cliffs. Um, we let the um, the horn puffins breed. Uh, and this year we had hor- four horn puffin chicks. Nice. Um, our thick-billed mirrors, we only have two. They are a father-son, um, so they just hang out, um, keep each other company. And then our parakeet ocelot that we have, he's our last one. He is 20 years old. Their average lifespan in the wild is 10. Nice. Uh, so Doing the thing. <laughs> we did have an individual live to be 27. Wow. Um, his name was Napoleon. He's small and mighty. <laughs> um, but our parakeet ocelot that we have right now, his name is Squirt. And like I said, he's 20 years old. Uh, we uh, he, he does very well by himself. Um, he's pretty social with us. So he likes to hang out with us during the summer when it's breeding season. Um, we keep him company. Um, he's also a bird that we train. So we have some behaviors that we do with him throughout the year just to keep him on his toes. And he keeps us on our toes too. And he's not truly alone. He still has the horned puffins and our mirrors and us. Um, but it's been an interesting, um, time managing him as a single auklet, but Sarah has been doing a fantastic job working with him. She's uh, kind of his person at this point. Yeah, I've no, I because I've been here so long. I was here when Squirt hatched, and just a few years after that, um, we were all assigned birds for a training project, and he became my bird. And so we've had a wonderful experience together all these years with all the behaviors that I've trained. Um, he became a behind the scenes VIP bird nice. and I let the, the guests interact with him for the during the sessions. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's been a fun road. He's the most charismatic bird I think I've ever met. Um, he can get a little sassy. Sometimes he has a little attitude, but all I have to do sometimes is talk him down and he's like, oh, it's you. I'll, I'll just hang out here and I'll relax. A little bit of a Napoleon complex. <laughs> but yeah. But we love him. But he he reacts differently to every keeper. Um, it was very interesting when Whitney started. I was starting to pass some behaviors off to her. And it was, uh, he reacted very similar to her, to way, the way he does to me. And then when other keepers would come in, he's like, who are you? I am not doing this. So it's it was very, 
It's very nice. Nice. That's cool. Yeah. It's really so, interesting. And we do a lot, we try and do training with all of our birds as well. Um, some are show a little bit more of a proficiency for it and more interest in it. Um, Sarah's been working really hard on scale training all of our horned puffins as nice. well because, you know, with any animal, getting regular weights on them is an extremely important part of their husbandry or health care. Um, with our mirrors, uh, let's see, I think yellows just turned 35 yep. as well. So working with them to kind of get him comfortable to continue in the, in the event that we need to keep getting him medications or do any other voluntary husbandry behaviors with him. Um, since he is getting up there in age, he's what almost tripled his normal life expectancy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, generally I believe the thick bill mirrors 15 to 20 in the wild. So, um, yeah, it's it's been a little bit of a struggle for the scale training because our colony originally they we treated our colony as here's your food trays we're going to back off let you eat make it all look a little bit more natural you know throw some fish in the water and then it was probably about five six years ago it was hey let's start to scale train these birds that really did not want to come up to you so it's um, had some birds that have been like yes let's work on this and I've had a few they're like I'm still working on some of them just even coming close to me. So it's been a fun challenge. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, training is, is such an important thing. And I think as we get to understand more and more about these animals, you know, yeah, it is important to have uh, naturalistic behaviors and to, to, you know, do things for the right reasons. But if, if they're in a zoo, they do have to have the ability to, interact with the humans that they have to interact with. And at the end of the day, I think that's the kind of thing that can literally save their lives. You know, I mean, so much of vet med is based on um, cooperative care whenever it's possible. So I think it's cool that you're, you're aiming for that and that that's kind of a, a more recent change. I mean, it's been a couple of years, but yeah, still like, yeah. it's cool to see. I think I love seeing zoos and the industry in general grow towards that more and more. Um, you know, there's a lot of debate from facility to facility about like naturalistic enrichment versus non-naturalistic and what's, what's better for the animals and, and all of that. Um, but I don't think there's much debate that the training stuff is really essential um, right. for that care. Exactly. And what a lot of people also don't realize is that the training is not only beneficial for building up their ability to be less stressed when it comes to being having to do some of those medical procedures. It's also a great form of mental stimulation for those animals. Um, they don't always have those opportunities to go out on the, you know, in their natural environment and give themselves those puzzles, those challenges, those hunting opportunities. So that's what part of the training and the enrichment is for, is for getting them to think, getting them to use their brain in a way that they wouldn't necessarily be able to here in our care that we can provide for them that is more naturalistic. Yeah, makes sense. It's uh, it's it's interesting to see that, but it sounds like y'all are really, really focused on having it on the right path, which I love. Um, but okay, we we need to talk polar bears. We <laughs> yeah. need Absolutely. to talk polar bears. So, uh, tell me about the polar bear situation here. So we've got two polar bears right now. Um, their names are Peyton and Anana. Uh, both of their birthdays are in November. Okay. Peyton will be 20 and Anana will be 24. Wow. Yeah. So that's actually pretty old for polar bears. Um, average life expectancy out in their natural environment is 18, maybe 20 if they're lucky. Um, obviously there have been some that have lived into their late 20s, early 30s on their own, but it's not quite as common. 
Um, in human care, we've seen polar bears live into their early 30s, even to late 30s. Um, again, late 30s is not quite as common for right. them. Um, so we're really excited that our polar bears are doing appear to be doing so well right now. Um, Anana, you wouldn't wouldn't even know that she's a 24-year-old polar bear. <laughs> um, she is very spunky, um, big personality as well. And so she just stares at you sometimes with those eyes of like, what are we going to do? How can I do as little work for as much reinforcement as possible? <laughs> you should tell the story from this morning when you went to do your first check on the bears. So every morning when we come in, we do checks on our animals to make sure everybody's everybody's where they're supposed to be and nothing's wrong. Um, and so when I went to check on Anana this morning, I she lately the last week has been in one of her um, – back bedrooms in her hammock, sleeping every morning for like a week straight. So that's kind of where I expected her to be. So I looked in the window to see if I saw her and I didn't see her. So I opened the door and I looked down to where I thought she would be. And all I see is the white blur out of the, my peripheral on the opposite side. And she was just sitting there by the door, staring at me like, is it breakfast time yet? <laughs> now, I don't know if that's actually what she was thinking, but, you know, we sometimes like to joke around um, about what they're thinking. And she was just sitting where I was not expecting her. And that's the crazy thing about polar bears is that they are massive animals. They are stealthy. Really? Yes. That is not that is not a word I expected to hear today. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah. So they are they're ambush predators. So they have to be quiet. I I know you say that and you're right, but I've never heard that like I've never heard and I know they are, but you don't hear that term applied to them. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Even though you're absolutely right. That's exactly what they do. They blend in, they sit, they wait and they but but they're bears. So that's an, it's really interesting. Yeah. Go ahead. But yeah, yeah. No. And that's one of the one of the things that I love about them is that they are bears, but they're so different from grizzlies and black bears. Um, their diets are just so different. And so the way they hunt is so novel to me. Um, like they literally will sit at a hole in the ice for hours, if not days, waiting for a harbor seal or any, well, really any kind of seal to come up through the air hole and then they pounce. And so it's interesting to see our bears sometimes will sit themselves in an area where they know that we typically come to with their food and they will just sit and wait for hours and hours. So we're trying to like think of different ways that we can apply that in other areas of the air habitat so that they can be out there. Guests can see them because they're amazing animals. Yes. Um, but their paws are massive. And so they will just quietly move and stalk and carefully place their paws before they pounce. Wow, that's so cool. And I, I literally, I knew about the, the hole and the seal thing, but yeah, like I said, it just, you saying ambush predator, which is exactly what that is, uh, really blew my mind. Just, yeah, cause they're polar bears. They're polar bears. <laughs> they're big animals. They are, they're fast in short spurts. Okay. Um, so they're not gonna chase an animal down like a tiger or a lion or a cheetah. Um, they don't have the energy capacity cause they need to save that energy for keeping warm. Um, and so, yeah, they sit and they will just wait for the food to come to them. That's, yeah, that's really interesting. And yeah, as soon as you told me that, I instantly started thinking of like, yeah, what can you do, even not just for food, but for like enrichment and stuff, what kind of thing can you do? I'm picturing like a big like uh, whack-a-mole game 
<laughs> Something well, like what's that, really you know? cool is actually there is a facility that has basically created a whack-a-mole for polar nice. bears. Okay. Um, we've got the schematics for it. So we're just trying to logistically figure out where and how we can um, incorporate that into our own facility. Um, and that's one of the really cool things about our community is that we have conferences every year, multiple different types of conferences where we can um, provide information, ask questions, and just have those conversations between different facilities with polar bears and figure out what's the next step. What else can we do to help improve um, our welfare and our enrichment programs or our training programs um, for our animals? And so that was one that we were really excited about. Um, some of the stuff that we currently have is we have big pickle barrels. <laughs> so our polar bears have shown that that is an enrichment that they tend to gravitate towards a lot, especially when we first get them and we have to clean out all the pickle juices. <laughs> they have an extremely strong sense of smell. And so there is no matter how much you clean it, there is still that lingering scent of pickle. Um, and so we'll throw different items in it. We'll put a lid on it. And so they have to figure out how to get the lid off. They have to figure out how to get the stuff out from inside the pickle barrel. They'll throw it up in the air. Anana, especially, she will lay in the pool on her back and she will take some of her toys and she will just toss it up in the air <laughs> and just let it come splashing right down. Or she'll push it down to the bottom and let it float back up to the surface. Oh, that's so cool. You know, you keep saying the name Anana in particular. Do you know where these guys came from and how long they've been here offhand? Yeah, so Anana was originally, she was born at uh, Seneca Park Zoo up in uh, New York. And um, Peyton was, where was Peyton? Brookfield. Brookfield. Okay. Okay. I don't know why Anana sounds so familiar to me. I don't know if there's there, another Anana, maybe there Columbus? Were actually, there were two other Anana. Okay. Yeah. So Detroit had one. Okay. And Columbus Zoo also Okay. Had I one. thought so. Yeah, yeah. 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 I think I've seen Anana at Columbus at some mm -hmm. point in my life. So that's yeah. why I was like, I, you, you keep saying that. And I'm like, did, did Anana move here? Did I miss that? I thought, okay. Interesting. Yeah, All right. I think there's cool. been a couple and our Anana has been here since the end of 2014. Okay. Yeah. Now let's, let's talk for a little bit. I know I've talked about this on the podcast. Podcast, but I'm uh, my expertise is that I'm a drummer, so let's have some actual experts talk about this. Um, but polar bears are a challenge for many reasons in zoos, um, and I, I guess there there are kind of two sides of this. One of which is just there's a lot that goes into the the habitat and the care and taking care of all that. And I'd love to hear about some of that. But then also, I know that there are all kinds of problems with sustaining the population right now. Um, Dr. Aaron Curry of Cincinnati Zoo's crew was on uh, talking about trying to figure out their, um, you know, the, the work she's doing on um, polar bear reproduction and trying to find a pregnancy test. Um, but then beyond that, the government has rules where we basically can't get new polar bears into the country. Um, which I think is really problematic. Um, but I, I'd love to hear just kind of your take on all of that, what makes all of it so challenging and go a little bit deeper on, on either side of it, both sides of it, you know, whatever. Um, I mean, yeah, it is a challenge. Um, it's almost like the population is going to be stagnant if we don't end up getting, um, some more genetics into it. Um, I kind of looked at some of the, a lot of the polar bear family tree stuff. It was just like one of those things I did. I couldn't sleep one night. I'm Nerd. Like, let's, let's just go through and look at all the polar bears, look at some stuff and, and just piece everything together. I'm like, you know what? Almost everybody is related to each other one way or another, mm -hmm. um, to some degree. And then it, so it's, we need some new genetics. What's really nice is, um, I believe it was fish and wildlife released within the last year the bears that were orphaned in Alaska that the zoos have had 
um, we can now actually use them to bring their genetics into the population. Oh, that's so. exciting. Because I know for a long time there was a, a complete ban on that. Yeah. And that's really, I, it's one of the few things that I really don't understand because, like, I get the illegal trade, I get all of that stuff. But when you're talking about good accredited facilities, um, these are animals that are in crisis in nature right now. And there's literal scientific proof that they do well in captivity, that they um, live longer lives. Breeding is a challenge in captivity, and I know we're working on that. Breeding you know. in general is a challenge for polar bears. Gotcha. Um, because their breeding season is relatively short. Their females are only cycling for about a week at a time. Oh, wow. So if there's not a male nearby and she cycles, that's essentially it. She might have one or two other cycle times throughout a few months, but it's a very short window. Um, so polar bear breeding in general, not just in human care, is a challenge. Um, and then you've got the challenge of um, is when the mother dens up um, to potentially have cubs, how is that going to go? Is she a first-time mom and they're healthy or is she not a first-time mom and they're not healthy and so the cubs don't survive? There's just so many, so many factors that go into it. Yeah, and there are pseudo pregnancies too, mm -hmm. right? Um, Delayed and implantation and everything as well. So, so it's much. very yeah. difficult to even know if your polar bear is pregnant or not. Yeah, so that's really cool to hear that. Um, you know, there are now some new bears being allowed into the population. That makes me really happy. I did not know that. So thank you for that. Sure. Um, and yeah, as far as just, um, you know, like I said, I've had Dr. Curry on talking about trying mm -hmm. to figure that out. And it's, it's astonishing what we don't know and can't figure out about these animals yet. It's, it's, it's really amazing. Yeah, and I'm really excited for all the research that's going on too right now um, and having uh, the ability to participate in a lot of those research programs because, like you said, there's not a lot known about polar bears. Um, people have always loved polar bears, but they're not something that we've really had a chance to research. Um, like, for example, right now, we don't even necessarily know if our uh, numbers for polar bears out in their natural environment is accurate because a lot of times with the males, you can't put a c tracking collar on them. Right. Their head is the shape of a traffic cone. You put a <laughs> collar on it, it's going to slide right off. So really, we only have an idea of where the females are going. And so we don't know what actual population numbers are for sure. But what's really cool is that 3M is actually partnering with a lot of facilities to do that research to try and find different ways of attaching trackers to bears. And our animals can help with that by, if we put it on our animals, we can see how long it stays on. We can see how well it works here in a contained environment. Um, so just little research, like research projects like that is helping expand that information so much. And like you said, you're talking with somebody who's trying to work on a pregnancy test even. So that's, it's, it's amazing to be able to be a part of all of this research and conservation. So that's where I was going, like, right after we talked, because the 3M <laughs> thing I've talked about on the podcast before. Okay, yeah. Um, but it's, it's been a while. So, so let's, let's go into it a little bit deeper. And I was going to ask if you're involved in that research, because I'm so stupidly excited about this research. It seems like such a small thing, but it's such a huge thing. We are currently not involved with it. Okay. Um, we are, we have a, some other projects going on. Like, we were recently a part of a bite study program. Um, I bet that was interesting. Yeah. So um, what and I think we got the results from that, but I can't remember exactly what they were. I'd have to I'd have to relook at it. But 
how that study was working was um, there were whale carcasses that would wash up on shore. And so the study was to help find out if it was worth it to leave those carcasses in order for bears to feed on um, or if it just was nutriently not sufficient for them and to remove them so there was less chance of human-bear conflict. Um, and so we gave our bears large amounts of food and basically videoed it and they got whatever information they needed from a two minute video of our bears eating a large pile of food or a massive meat log um, in order to see how many calories or how much food they're actually getting with each bite. Wow. That's really cool. Awesome. All right. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. I think, um, you know, uh, one of the things, so I was just at the AAZV conference and it was all of this research stuff and all of these nerdy, nerdy, nerdy things that I could <laughs> barely understand. And what I found fascinating is that like the stuff, the research that's being done just isn't really talked about anywhere. Like I actively seek this stuff out for my Zoo News episodes and I'm sitting there in the room. I think I told the team I got mad at one point because there was one project that should be huge. It was about bongo reintroductions and so many zoos have contributed to the population that's getting introduced into the wild again. And this is so right up my alley and it wasn't like nerdy vet stuff that I could barely understand. And I was sitting there getting frustrated because not only do I do my zoo news, but I've had as many as 30 some contributors per week reaching out with the stories that they're seeing. And we're all big zoo nerds and none of us have heard of this stuff. You know, I, I didn't hear about that bite study until just now. I, I think that the next step for the AA or yeah, the AZA and the AAZV and individual zoos is to start talking more about that stuff. Because yeah, it's really cool to post a really pretty Arctic fox face. I do that and then I get likes and then I can educate people. But I feel like that's kind of the next step. We need to let people know the amazing work being done here. Because I don't understand how, I mean, other than the obvious emotional thing that some people just some people are all feels and no thoughts. But beyond that, I just don't understand how you can be opposed to a good facility when you hear about something like that and how it actively makes an impact in the wild. You know, this is the stuff we need to be shouting from the rooftops. Absolutely. Right, right. I fully agree. Um, and even for me in the in being here at the facility, it's like trying to figure out who's, what organizations are doing this research and talking with those. And we even have, you know, we have researchers right here on park ourselves. Um, and so that's definitely something that we are trying to put out there um, as keepers. Like for me, a lot of times when I post and my Facebook and everything is private, but like at least for the friends and family that I have, anytime I post a picture of my animals, I try and put some of that educational information out there um, because that's why I do what I do. Mm -hmm. I want to try and have people care and try and get that information out. Um, Polar Bears International is a fantastic website um, that has a lot of information about some of the research that's going on. Um, and there's some other ones uh, as well out there that have that information that we can disseminate to the general public. Um, it's just finding the right mode of getting it out there. Um, and I know I'm always open for different ideas on how to get that information out. 
Yeah, absolutely. That's something I've been thinking about a lot recently. Uh, literally just being at, because I was at AZA, then AAZV, and two weeks of hearing all this amazing stuff, and I was like, we need to do better. And I'm actively trying to do this. I mean, that's what my podcast is. And even I'm like, I need to do better with with finding this stuff and getting it out there. It's It's very important. Yeah, I was going to say some of the um, really good conservation that we have going on here. It, I'm I'm excited. I've been here for over 20 years, and to see um, more herpetology focused conservation because that was kind of like something that was kind of off to the side a long time ago. Here, um, like our curator Dustin Smith, he's doing the was the Caribbean boa. Um, there's the indigo snake breeding. And then there's the hellbender study. So there's a lot that's going on with the, the amphibians, so uh, reptiles. So I think that's pretty cool. Absolutely. Um, the amount of conservation work and research that we're able to do here at the North Carolina Zoo is amazing because we have such a good support system um, in order to be able to do that. I mentioned that we have a whole section that is helping us do research. We bring in grad students to help do some of those research things. And we can even propose research projects to the grad students as well. Um, and so just trying to maybe maybe we can talk to them and coordinate some way of getting some of this research out. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that was actually uh, my first episode from the zoo was was research focused, had nothing to do with with keeping and normal zoo stuff. Um, and now we've moved on to this. And I, I love both sides of it. But uh, yeah, it, it's cool to be able to share everything because there's so much. And that was the thing when I started this podcast, um, I didn't know, first of all, I had no idea if it would ever have traction. But beyond that, I didn't know if I would run out of stuff because, you know, and I'm, I'm very lucky. A lot of podcasts that I've seen that kind of come and go, they'll do like, they'll do like their, their polar bear episode. And then we're done with polar bears. So I couldn't be talking to y'all right now about polar bears because we've talked about polar bears. But by focusing on the individuals, both the humans and the bears, I could leave here and go immediately to the Toronto Zoo and talk to their keepers and their polar bears, and it would be a different story, which I love. But then on top of that, like just learning about everything, because I didn't know. I was a zoo fan, and I only knew surface level stuff, and I was seeking it out. And now I'm just like, this is incredible. I could come here every day for a month and talk to incredible staff members from research to the PR team to horticulture to gift ser- you know, gift shops, uh, membership services. And it all matters. They all care. They all love the animals. They're all involved in conservation. Um, you know, and I could, I could avoid keeper staff entirely and still talk to amazing people every day. And that's incredible. Absolutely. And that's something that a lot of people don't realize too, is that even if you don't want to be in the trenches with the animals themselves, there are opportunities around every facility that you can be involved with the zoo without actually having to be cleaning up after the animals or, you know, doing all of this other stuff with the animals. You can still be involved in their lives through, like you said, through PR, through marketing, through the research, um, you know, just anything like that is a great way to be involved. Yeah. And for, for people that are listening who have thought, because I, I know that one of the things I'm the most proud of of this podcast is I know that I've inspired people to get into this industry and have been told that. And that is like mind blowing to me. Um, and I, I've said this before, but again, for people who haven't heard it, you 
don't have to go that path to still be like zookeeping, to still be not just working at a facility, but actively involved. And I'll, I'll point to, um, you know, a good friend of the podcast, uh, Colleen Lenahan, who is the uh, gift shop buyer at, and manager at Akron Zoo, uh, who was not working in zoos and now is, and is also on their like dangerous animal drill team and also got involved on the, with the TikTok that they do there and now gets to hang out with the animals and do stuff for TikTok and has none of the background and also never has to shovel poop. So like, you know, there are a lot of ways into this. And I just, I always like to, to bring that up. Um, so we are running low on time and I know there were a ton more animals that y'all discussed, but this is what always happens. And maybe we'll have you back on for a future episode, but were there any other specific animals, like personalities or anything that you really wanted to hit? Just like some standout. I'm, I'm already seeing the face exploding. So go ahead, go ahead. Tell me what I missed. Our Harbor Seal Ronan. Okay. Yeah. He is an amazing little harbor seal. Um, I have worked with harbor seals for almost four years now. Um, and they're all very unique animals. He is in kind of a unique situation right now. He is housed by himself, um, which is a little different than a lot of facilities. However, harbor seals are naturally a solitary species. Okay. Um, they can be found in groups and around each other. Um, so it's not totally unusual that he is currently housed alone. Um, it's not a permanent situation. We are looking at what our different options are for him, but he, um, at least from what I understand before I got here, when he was housed with other animals, um, was a little bit more on what we would call the shy side. Um, a little bit less of a big personality, kind of let the other animals kind of take the forefront and the, and their caretakers attention. Would you agree? Yeah. Sarah? Yeah, totally. Like, so when we would, um, he was housed with two sea lions and one other harbor seal. When we would end up giving enrichment for the animals, you know, the, the sea lions, they are so energetic. They're so super fast. We would toss in the enrichment. And by the time we try to get it over to the harbor seals, they'd be done with theirs. And then they're, then they end up taking from the harbor seals. <laughs> but our other harbor seal, Paco, he was able to get into the enrichment. And then Ronan just like, I'm okay. I guess I'll just sit back here. But since he's, um, you know, he's by himself, it's, he's discovered what enrichment is. Okay. It's amazing. I love enriching him and exploring different ways to just see his little, how his little brain works. <laughs> and just from when I started two years ago, um, his confidence in himself has skyrocketed. Like the amount of stuff that we are able to get him comfortable with, with training. Like recently he did his first voluntary eye ultrasound completely nice. awake, wow. um, out of the pool with the vets around him. He was before he probably would have been, um, a little bit more shy. Harbor seals are naturally a skittish species as well. Um, but his confidence and his ability to come out and participate in some of those things and his willingness to learn. Um, and we have this, a behavior called innovate with him where he gets to pick whatever he wants and create new behaviors. It's really fun to ask him for that and see the wheels turning in his head of like, okay, what can I do next? How can I do something different? And his, you see his energy level just skyrocket a lot of times when we um, go do some of those sessions. Oh, that's really cool. I love that. I love that. One of the, uh, one of the other things, this is like, this is such a just, in the course of this episode, we've hit on so many of the things that I just really love about zoos. Um, and one of the things that I love is like, we, we, we spend all this time studying these species and say harbor seals do this and, you know, polar bears do this. And they'd be like saying humans do this. Humans are, you know, we all do different things to a point. And, um, the study of one 
is is such an important thing when you get to know your animals. I love that story so much. I love that that you were able to bring Ronan out of his shell. Uh, Harbor seals don't have actual shells. It's just a figure speech. <laughs> figure speech. Right? Yeah. 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 No, but, uh, <laughs> but um, I literally I just, just imagined putting a tor- uh, like a turtle shell on top of Ronan. That's what I was thinking of. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I I really love that. That's an adorable story. Thank you for sharing that. That's really cool and really important. Absolutely. I'll be curious to. You'll have to keep me posted on what the next steps are and everything. But yeah, that's really cool. Um and. And then I guess it's time to discuss conservation organizations. Any any shout outs we want to give? Um, gosh, I've always been a big fan of Project Puffin. Um, they have been, uh, gosh, it's uh, Dr. Stephen Kress. He started it, I don't even remember how many years ago. Um, and that was for Atlantic puffins. Uh, they had a lot of islands where the puffins just weren't living anymore or breeding. And so... After all the research and all the the time spent, puffins are now breeding successfully on so many different islands in in the North Atlantic now, all the way down to Maine. Um, so that that's been one of my favorite conservation stories that I love to tell for just for seabirds. So, yeah, knew you were gonna go bird nerd. I'm such <laughs> a bird nerd. If you look at the back of my car, I've got a new sticker on there. So. <laughs> Well, I mentioned Polar Bears International earlier. Um, if anybody wants to help out with the Polar Bears, um, that is a fantastic organization. Uh, they do a lot of TED Talks. They do a lot of outreach. Um, and their website is very easy to navigate and very informational. Very cool. Yeah, I I want to have them on the podcast. I've been pursuing them for over a year and have made some contacts and stuff. But like... I don't know. I'm working months in advance and they're really busy and I know we'll connect eventually, but it, it feels like a crime to me that I haven't had PBI on yet. Cause like I have a PBI hat. I have like a sweatshirt. Like I'm a fan of the organization and we, we need to, to finally connect and get them on. So it's interesting as one of our past Rocky Coast keepers, she now works for PBI. Oh, cool. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Very so cool. it's amazing where people go, um, from job to job. Yeah. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's always amazing to see just the different connections. Um, yeah. I've done voiceover work now for Penguins International and some other stuff for them. And I, if you would have told me that even two years ago, even with the podcast started, I would have been like, I don't know that that's a thing, but here I am yeah. and I love them and they're amazing. So yeah. Yeah. And they're the ones actually trying to connect me to Polar Bears International. So yeah, this is kind of funny how it's all interconnected. It's a small but huge world. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then that brings us to. It's time now, don't you know? We've come to the end of the show. But there's one tale left to go. You're gonna laugh and say, oh no. It's time for the Rossifari poop story. Plural this time. So, uh, what, what do you guys got? Uh, it has to do with one of our puppins. He's no longer with us, but every, I, it was only happened in the summer. I'd walk right by his nest tunnel. I kid you not, almost several times a week, I would get shot in the side of the head. <laughs> <laughs> and puff and poop is not fun. Not it just doesn't like poop and drop. It's projectile. It's it's watery. It's hot. Oh, and when it hits the side of your face and goes down your ear and it, in your hair, that is not fun. Ew, ew. <laughs> that, Amazing. That's, yeah. It's like a water gun only in reverse. I don't know. Yeah, basically. <laughs> and with hot water. Ew. <laughs> yeah. so, ew. Not it's pleasant. Like, no. You need to go take a shower after that. <laughs> <laughs> How about yours? Um, 
I can't say I have one as crazy as the seabird one because um, that just happens all the time. <laughs> um, I guess uh, it's a polar bear one. Um, they, you know, out on one of our habitats, our tundra habitat. So it's the a big grassy open area with a bunch of different levels. And sometimes the grass grows quite high. Um, and so sometimes it's when you're out there trying to clean, it's very difficult to see where a polar bear has pooped. Um, so they're very stealthy. They're very stealthy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it also blends in very well. Yes. <laughs> um, so I was walking around with some of our horticulture staff, um, as they were looking at what we could do to improve some of, um, our areas in that habitat. And I was walking backwards, did not realize that I was about to step in a big pile of polar bear poop and almost slid and fell, almost fell right on my butt. Luckily, <laughs> With my dancing background, I caught myself <laughs> before I fell. But my foot was completely covered in polar bear poop. Ew. Yeah. Love it. Awesome. Well, thank you both so much for doing this. Sure. It's been a lot of fun. It was my pleasure. It's fun. Well, let's go see Ronan. We are going to see Ronan the harbor seal. Yes. Just went and saw Anana. And got to see Peyton, the polar bears. Anana's a really special animal. She is. She has my heart. I teared up. Uh, I meet a lot of animals, and I teared up. I that's that's rare. That it was amazing. I was like, "What is happening right now?" Hi, Ronan. So I'm just gonna stand right there. Hi, Ronan. Hello. Aren't you a good little seal? So we have his Oh. That's a good target, bud. So I'm just going to take a walk around him, and then I'll reinforce him, and then we'll do some things together. Great. Sounds good. Hi, Ronan. You so can step around. it seems like Ronan has uh, an eye issue. Tell yes. me about that. So he had cataract surgery okay. um, about a year and a half ago. So all they did was they just removed his lenses. Mm-hmm. See? They just removed his lenses, and uh, his left eye just had, just had some... Um, just some a few little issues with it, so it, it's not as pretty as this other one. That's okay. I think it's pretty. Alright, so if you just want to walk with me. Sure. And you're just gonna stand right here. Okay. I can do that. Squat down. Touch. You can just oh. touch him right there. What a sweetie. Right? Hi, good boy. Great. I'm going to reinforce him. So if you just want to stand up. Yep. Good right there. Cool. I like yeah. your side. They're very, uh, like like they're very whiskery. Very nice. Belly. Oh, the belly. You, you can do better. <laughs> you can do that better. There we go. Belly. <laughs> good. There you go. So Whitney is working on a behavior. See? For urine collection. Nice. So she needs his access to his belly. Right. Because yep. they pee out their belly? No. I'm kidding. <laughs> I kid. Which on that behavior? Oh. Good. So that is Good a drumming. behavior that they do. Um, it's pretty cool sounding. That is cool. Why yeah. do they do that naturally? Um, I believe that is a breeding Called, so, okay. Oh no, so what they do is they slap the water. Okay. Yeah, gotcha. So it's a similar sound. So if you want to crouch down right here. Mm-hmm. 
And put your hand right underneath there. Oh, my goodness. So you get to hold your flipper. I am holding your flipper. Look at that. Are we holding hands, bud? We're holding hands. Look at what a nails. sweetheart. Look at your nails. Okay, you can release. Good boy. Oh, look at those two first. Those are good. Good chompers. So I noticed that you use target for a hand target and shape for the um, the the shaped target. Right. I think that's really interesting. I haven't seen that before. That's yeah. really cool. It's pretty much the same thing. It was just how it was paired a long time ago. Mm -hmm. uh, so the shape, the shape is actually just kind of like the start of session shape. Okay. Um, say, we're starting a session right now. Come along with me. Um, but it was also used as I need you to stay kind of here while I do things to you. So that makes sense. That's very cool. I like that. Yeah. So besides using our hand as a target, we do have other um, um, targets that we can use at the window and things like that. Good. So let me show you in the water what I mean by that. <laughs> oh, good. seals are so good on land. So what he's going to do is he's going to swim up to the window, and he's going to stay there until he the, the behavior is terminated. Oh, my goodness. Good. So the way that was trained is there was a target on the other side of the glass. Okay. Good job. Good job, bud. And you could literally see, like, the people there reacting yeah. to that. That was incredible good. for them. So his swim behavior, he's just going to do a full lap around the pool. Okay. And the faster he goes and where he ends up, he should be almost pretty much right in front of me. The faster he goes, the more fish he gets. Nice. Good. Good job, Ron. You get a whole one for that. Have a whole one. Perfect. So this one, he's just going to jump into the air. Good. <laughs> That's a smooth behavior. There's no verbal with that one. Right. But it's really cute. That is really cute, yeah. Tongue. So he sticks his tongue oh. out. Good. <laughs> that was adorable. And then he comes up here. Let's come. Come. There you go. Good. Tongue. Uh, good. good job. In the water. It is hilarious seeing how much better they are in the water than on land. They are way more comfortable in the water. Um, perfect. I'm so excited. <laughs> Good. Aww. And I'll just do the last two fish. Oh, good boy. There you go. All right, you're done. That's done, so then he knows we are done with the session. I love that. Yeah. Thank you very much, Ronan. That sure. was fun. I was going to say thank you to you in a minute, but uh, I have to, okay. have to thank Ronan first. Uh, but yes, I'd thank you. Say thank you to him first. Anyway. <laughs> there. Oh, man, that was such a great time. I had such a vivid memory as I was editing this, going back to the Rocky Shores area of the zoo and um, seeing Anana and seeing Peyton and getting to hang out with a certain absolutely ridiculously perfect harbor seal named Ronan. Um, it just, it, it really made me emotional just, just remembering being back there. That doesn't always happen when I edit because honestly, half the time when I edit, I'm just 
so focused on the audio stuff. And yeah, it was really nice to have those memories. Uh, so I'm so thankful to everyone at the North Carolina Zoo. They have been incredible. And I actually need to give a special shout out to Sarah Pack, who is um, a member of the marketing team at the North Carolina Zoo. Uh, Sarah is not someone who I met initially when setting all of this up or doing this, but after uh, Peyton passed away, Sarah reached out and wanted to let me know that it had happened, and she knew that I had this episode coming up, and um, just wanted to make sure that like I was aware and that I was you know, not going to put out an episode without that knowledge. Uh, and I can't, you know, say enough about the fact that there was never a don't release this or any kind of problematic thing. The transparency is there 100%. Uh, Sarah was just watching out for me and making sure that the podcast didn't end up looking bad, missing some information. And I got to tell you, I love that more and more zoos are really partnering with me on the podcast, not just letting me come and not just letting me talk to some people or whatever, which I mean, don't get me wrong, that's always incredible, but truly partnering with me and having us work together to um, make it as good as it can be and to, to look out for me as well as let me look out for them. It has been such a meaningful advancement in the last year or so in particular, and and um, I'm just blown away by it. So, Sarah, thank you for that email and for uh, the incredible phone call we had. And um, it was really appreciated. I just I love the team at North Carolina so stinking much, y'all. And uh, speaking of people that I love, I want to say that I love you and thank you to all of my patrons, especially my Red Panda level patrons, Dr. Laura Shank, Dr. Stephen Williamson and Barbara Bennett. And to remind you all that you can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month by going to patreon.com slash rossafari. So that's all I have for this week. I hope you all had an amazing time listening in. And uh, I'll be back with you on Friday for Zoo News. So until then, remember, friends, the word credits backwards is Steiderk. The Rossafari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Rossi. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Rossafari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.